What's up, y'all? This is John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. This is episode 68, Thrive in Training, How to Prepare for Anesthesia School. This is the second episode in the Thrive in Training series. This series is designed to help physician and nurse anesthesia trainees figure out what you need to do in order to thrive during your training. I believe that you don't just have to survive an anesthesia training, but that you can actually thrive. That might sound a little cheesy, but it is what it is. Anesthesia training is ridiculously hard, and you can either get hammered by it and struggle to make it, or you can figure out how to level up, rise above, and master the path to becoming an expert anesthesia provider. And this series is designed to help you do just that. If you're just tuning in, definitely go back and check out episode 67, which kicked off this series. In it, I talk about dialing in your why behind going to school. Whether you're a med student who's picking anesthesia for your residency or a critical care nurse who wants to go get your doctorate and become a CRNA, you need to first anchor yourself on what your driving motivation is because it's key to actually thriving in training. And we talk all about that in the last show, so go check that out. In this episode, I talk with Mason McDowell and Kara Mikhailov about how to prepare for anesthesia school. We talk about how to prepare with your families, if you should study ahead of time, tips for the interview, and frame the whole period of time that's headed your way in anesthesia training. I love their conversation in this episode. And at the end, I'm going to come back and summarize some additional insights for you in terms of what you should think about before you actually begin your anesthesia training. Now, I released this episode originally on February 21st, 2015 on the podcast from the head of the bed. That was exactly seven years ago today as this podcast is dropping on February 21st, 2022. I recorded this interview when I was still in SRNA as part of the initial launch of From the Head of the Bed, which was the podcast before Anesthesia Guidebook. I think what Mason and Kara share remains relevant and you're definitely going to enjoy hearing from them. At the time of this interview, Mason McDowell was an associate professor and former assistant director of the Nurse Anesthesia Program at Western Carolina University. His doctorate of nurse anesthesia practice from Texas Wesleyan University included research focused on perioperative patient management and cardiac risk assessment. He is the co-author of the Hepatobiliary and Gastrointestinal Disturbances in Anesthesia chapter in Nagelhout's Nurse Anesthesia Textbook along with numerous peer-reviewed journal articles. A few weeks after this interview in 2015, Mason moved with his family and two daughters to Bier Chad to provide anesthesia full-time. You can hear more about that incredible experience and his story with that in episodes 61 and 62 of Anesthesia Guidebook. Also at the time of this interview, Kara Mikhailov was a CRNA in Asheville, North Carolina, She had graduated from Western Carolina University about a year and a half before this interview was recorded, and I was stoked to get her perspective on preparing for training because she was a new grad CRNA, and it was still fresh on her mind. Kara and Mason are co-authors of a paper that was Kara's graduate project. It's titled Intravenous Acetaminophen and Intravenous Ketorolac for Management of Pediatric Surgical Pain, a Literature Review, and was published in the February 2014 edition of the AANA Journal. All right, so let's jump into the conversation with Kara and Mason. I want to give you a quick heads up. Back in the day, I was recording with a tabletop microphone that picked up all the HVAC room noise. I've tried to clean it up as best I can, but bear with me on the audio quality. As we jump in, I had just asked Mason and Kara for their advice for folks who are planning to go to anesthesia school. Here's Mason. I think 
if you don't know where you want to go to school, spend some time looking around on the internet. And the internet can be your friend and your foe. Discussion boards uh, can give you some insight, but sometimes squeaky wheels you know, kind of get all the oil. So you can't necessarily learn everything you need from the internet. I would truly, the best advice I think I'd give is to say, make personal contact with the program director or assistant director, one or the other or both. Uh, I think that goes a long way into figuring out what that particular program feels like is is the best, the best path for success to getting into their program, you know, and then worry about succeeding once you're in there at another time. But, you know, what, what does the program director value the most for an applicant? Great. And they'll tell you, for us, we love this ICU type or that, or this, you haven't been in school for a while, I recommend taking graduate classes to improve your GPA or to show that you're still, you know, academically capable of learning again. I think that's great. That's great advice. Great. Kara, how about you? Advice for someone coming into graduate school? Um, I agree with that. I think, you know, for me, I went visited some schools and looked at them and did meet with people and I went to some open houses and tried to really just meet I guess I met Dr. McDowell wasn't the director but you know he was at the open house and just very candidly speak to him about this is my experience and this is my interest and see how it feels like it fits yeah and what yeah like he said what they value because I got you know the feeling from some schools that I visited that it just didn't seem like it would fit personality wise or just kind of what their focus was on right you know education the size of the class that they take I think was important to me and how many people they tend to keep like I wanted to go somewhere where it was small like I didn't want to go somewhere where you know first semester their goal is get a third of the people out you know right so I think right things like that what kind of advice would you all give for students that have families either significant others or children that are coming into a program I would just cut them loose. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I don't mean that. Um, But you hear this topic come up a lot, and I don't know how to best say to prepare for the stresses of school, but it's until you live it, you can't truly appreciate. And even now, I mean, this came up a few days ago, my wife talking about um, how graduate school was for me and how I was really sequestered in the office studying all the time and fortunately at the time I only was neglecting my wife and not my wife and and children so trying to find a balance I think maybe I wasn't the most balanced student I was you know maybe the program director liked my degree of commitment but I could have been maybe you know spent more time with the family so I'd say take your head out of the books from time to time and remember that there's probably a reason you're going to school it's professional satisfaction but you want to provide you know a better life for those around you too so um, so care for your, your wife and your kids and your pets Right. <laughs> Whatever you have, you can't you can't truly be tunnel vision with anesthesia school. And I'm saying that as you know a faculty member who I should want you to be 100. percent But care for yourself and your family too. Right. That's great. Care thoughts on did, did you have family significant others? Did you see peers that had that? I do. Mine made it through. Not everybody's did. I think it really is a lot of strain on a relationship and a family. And I think that even though people that I knew ahead of that you know, ahead of me in school told me that was going to happen. You don't really totally believe them or understand it until you're doing it. And then you realize, yeah, like how much of a strain it is. And even if your family is supportive, you know, they still feel it because, you know, they recognize that they may be second now for this amount of time as much as they want to be okay with that. It can still be hard. Right. I think you just have to talk about it ahead of time with them, you know, that it's going to be a stress and hopefully you'll be able to work through it. And like Dr. McDowell said, try and make time for them and 
not always put them second. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, switching back to the SRNAs, would you recommend that they study anything before they come to school? Not anesthesia-related. I think you need to come in being well-versed in the stuff that you should already know. Like physiology, maybe, if you feel like you need to review that, even if you're going to take a course, because the course that you'll take is usually a review course. You know, you've usually taken one, I guess you'd have had to for nursing school, but I don't think you need to... You know, at least I didn't feel they expected us to not know anything about anesthesia. Great. But you should know basic physiology, pharmacology, things like that. Great. What do you think, Dr. McDowell? Yeah, I would echo that. You know, I think looking at applicants, the people that stand out are those that really are strong with physiology and pharmacology. And that comes up in many interviews, in fact, as you're preparing. You know, have, if you can, slightly more than the, the most basic of knowledge. Try to dig a little bit deeper. And if you can do that while you're working in the ICU, it's more applicable because you see how it relates to your own patient population. There are maybe are two schools of thought, though. You know you're in school. You're going to start in four months or six months. What should you do? And some people go to Europe and backpack and, and have a great time and don't even look at a book, and that works. Um, other people might, you know, finish off their CCRN if they haven't done that. I was probably not surprisingly a little bit of an anesthesia nerd. I had friends that were already in school and friends that were CRNAs, and so they gave me their books, and I, I read those. So, you know, I, I read Miller's Anesthesia, Baby Miller's, not, not the, the big stack, and Morgan and McHale and Mass General Procedures book. I mean, I, I took that kind of stuff to the beach with me. I was just that lame that I wanted to know as much as I could. Do you feel like that. That, prepared, or that that paid off in school? Um, this won't be a one-size-fits-all for everybody. For me, I, I truly did love the science of it, so it wasn't, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to read something else. I wasn't going to pick up War and Peace. You know, I, I, I wanted to know more about anesthesia. Right. So I was, you know, I was sucking it all up, and I, that worked for me. I think, I think it stuck. I think I knew more than than the average person starting school. Right. I think for me, enjoying the time before you come into school, knowing that it is going to be very demanding. But Kara, I think you had a great point. Anesthesia programs expect you not to know anything about anesthesia. And they really do teach you from the ground up as far as the anesthesia-related content. If I had it to do over again, I would have loved to, as you said, Dr. McDowell, pay more attention in the ICU, investigate things. If you don't know what's going on, um, you know, look up that drug, know your dose ranges. If you know you're headed to anesthesia school, Try to understand the why of the things that you're doing while you're in the ICU. It's so easy just to get in the routine of going to work and coming home. But in anesthesia, I think for me, that's been the biggest lesson is that here is where you actually learn the why behind everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talk to your respiratory therapist, talk to your critical care intensivist, really try to find out what's going on. So you do bring that sound clinical experience into school. Yeah. And maybe just to echo on that, I, I use this phrase intellectual curiosity, and it's, it's a trait that I like to see in applicants. If they're already looking into why while they're in the ICU, they're a good candidate to be successful through anesthesia school because it's not enough to be a technician. So if you can, you know, you have a patient with this pathophysiology, read about it. And if you, you your unit uses norepi and not neosinephrine, why is that? Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are a million whys behind things, and not all of them are absolutes, but you should want to know why things work in a, in a more meaningful way than just the superficial level. Right. You will get it in school, but if you already are developing that trait of intellectual curiosity, I think it'll serve you well. Great. Speaking of things that you look for in applicants, you've both been involved in interviews of uh, applicants to SRNA programs. What are some of the things that stick out to you in some of those interviews? Do you remember much from your interview, Kara? Oh, I remember everything from my interview. <laughs> Were we nice? Yeah, fairly nice. 
I remember most clearly a question that I had, which was basically somebody just who remain nameless leaned forward and said, so I'm going to give you a scenario and I want you to answer and don't say, you know, now, you know, imagine you're the doctor, the CRNA or whatever, but don't think of it as though you're the nurse in the ICU. Don't say, I'll call the doctor. Like, what would you do if you had to make the decisions? Lean forward and said, you have a patient and your blood pressure is 70. And I said, okay. And he said, that's it. And so, you know, it just makes you think because that was me coming from, I've worked in a pediatric ICU. Uh So how old is this patient? Is this patient an infant? That's an okay blood pressure. If it's a systolic, are you talking about systolic? Are you talking about a mean arterial pressure? Are you talking about the diastolic? Are you talking about an adult? I also worked in a trauma ICU. Is this a spinal cord injury? What's the context, right? Is this a trauma? You know, and all of those things change what I'm concerned about, what I'm looking for, how I'm going to treat it. If it's a spinal cord injury and they're in shock, you know, what I'm going to use to treat that versus if it's a trauma and their arm has been cut off and they're bleeding out, you know, so that all I think goes back to knowing your basic physiology and pharmacology. Did they give you that Why? information or no. was that your no. answer? My or? answer was basically, well, if it, if this is the scenario, this is what I would do. If this is right. the scenario, this is what I would do. But these are, you know, and I think the goal was to see what I was thinking because right. you can't, you can't just take one number or one fact and run with you it. You say have to figure out. 70, well, I'll treat that with extra because there's right. more information that he really needs. And even if you said their diastolic is 70, you still need to know the age. You still need to know the scenario. You know, is it a right. heart failure patient? What I'm going to use to help their blood pressure is very different than if it's, like I said, a trauma and they're bleeding out. So, right. you know. Were you thinking all that as an applicant or are you yes. using your CRNA branch? No, I was thinking That's all that as an applicant. I'm glad I, was we thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about the 26-year-old motorcycle it. wreck that I had taken care of that had a spinal cord injury that was like a, you know, T2. And so, you know, their blood pressure can be low. What am I going to use to treat that versus an infant versus, you know, the old lady with heart failure? And so... That's all stuff that you should have some knowledge of working in the ICU. The anesthesia education is only going to help you so much if you don't understand the physiology of why that is the scenario for that patient and the pharmacology of how to treat it and what you would and wouldn't do. You know, so I guess that just goes back to all of that. To have that interest as a nurse to already be learning that stuff and thinking about why when I have this patient in the ICU, we drew it this way. And why when I have this patient, we do it this way. And if you don't understand that, you may or may not learn that part in school. Right. Like you should already have a you know the ability to learn that. Some I guess. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So Dr. McDowell, things that stick <laughs> out to you and applicants in the interview? I think uh, I- interviewing is an acquired skill. And for people who have never interviewed or have interviewed very, very little, sometimes that's not your best, you know, your best asset. But I think the day of interview probably weighs more heavily than anything else you do to get into school. I mean, it just is your your GPA has already been looked at and you've been compared to a lot of applicants. So assume that as you walk into the interview, everybody's equal. All the lesser thans have been eliminated from the process. So practice interviewing, you know, be confident, look people in the eye and think through while you're at home for the days and weeks and months before interview, what type of questions will they ask me in an interview for anesthesia school? And that's all out there on the internet. You know, some of it's just getting to know your personality. And sometimes the uh, admissions committee wants to know, what does this person really know? So give them as much detail as you can. I mean, if you think you can go deeper with your 
answers go deeper. And if they touch on a subject that you're not that familiar with, you're probably best to be honest and say, I just, I don't know the answer to that. I'll, you know, this is what I think, but I'm not positive. I would have to look that up. And I think they appreciate that more than the tap dance. Because usually the committee knows you're dancing. Right. That's great. I think it goes with that saying, full professional dress, show up early, be on time, all of this kind of basic yeah. things. Yeah. I mean, even if you get a dry run, some people come from, you know, out of the state and they don't have that luxury. But, you know, I wouldn't fly in the morning of your interview if at all possible. Try to come the night before and, you know, get there early. It's better just to hang out in the parking lot and listen to music or whatever than, than to show up at the last minute sweating. And it's already a tense day anyway. All right. Well, great insight. So anything else that came to mind that you want to mention before we move on as far as the the pre-grad school success strategies no again i think it's it's a product if if you know people already in the program ask them what was your interview like you know that information is sometimes out there even on discussion boards go in with as much information as you can to give you the best chance for success and sometimes even you know the the program director or assistant director might give you some insight also if you talk to them days or weeks or months before yeah what's the interview like here some places are gonna you know they're gonna quiz you heavily they have a preset list of questions other places like myself you know i'm going to use what you give me so when you tell me about your patients we'll go deeper on that topic i'm not going to ask you about cardiac if you're you know something else if you're a peds trauma whatever great Karen. Any other thoughts on prior to grad school, how to get ready? Know what the profession is that Great. you are saying that you want to get into. Great. If they ask you what do you think a CRNA does, you should probably be able to answer that. And obviously you don't know exactly, but you should have shadowed, so you should have some idea of what you saw and what you think they do. And you should, That's you know, That's advice. not a hard question, but if you can't answer that, then... They may not want to hear what else you have to say. You know, what, then why do you want to do this if you don't know what you're getting into? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, just maybe one more thing to piggyback is know the program you're mm-hmm. applying to and interviewing as well. When they say things like, why did you choose to come to whatever anesthesia program? You know, saying things like, I love the mountains. is It's great to love mountains, but you probably, the committee wants to know, like, what is it about our program? Why are you sitting in front of us today? So know a little bit about their clinical sites and what types of things the students can or can't do and I mean really invest a little bit of time it should be on the program's website at least the fundamental stuff you don't need to ask a lot of the things that are already there you know but when I ask you you know why did you come here today have an answer so that you know it shows you've done a little bit of homework and it's not just because it's within 40 minutes of your house and it's most convenient that may be your answer but that shouldn't be your only answer right exactly all great advice thank you for that All right, folks. So on the day I recorded this interview with Kara and Mason, at this point in the interview, our recording hardware crashed. It was such a bummer. We could have talked about so much more, but that is all you're going to get from Kara and Mason for this topic. They will be back in the next episode to discuss their top tips for thriving once you're in the program. So I want to summarize and highlight a few things about preparing for anesthesia school before we go. Number one, there is so much to say. We have a whole series just on this one topic. In fact, there's numerous companies, podcasts, and social media accounts out there run by CRNAs, which are geared 100% towards helping you prepare for anesthesia school. Most of them offer a mix of free content on their website, social accounts, and podcasts, as well as paid access for practice interviews, personal statement reviews, and professional coaching. So I'm not going to try to duplicate what all those folks are doing, but I will point out a few of them here. In a couple shows in this series, 
you're going to hear from Jenny Fennell, whose company is the CRNA School Prep Academy. Her entire company is focused on helping people prepare for anesthesia school. We're going to talk about in the series, developing a growth mindset and then how to succeed in the didactic portion of anesthesia training. Back in episode five of Anesthesia Guidebook, I talked with Kiki Mattress, who is the owner of the CRNA Chase. She's got a popular blog and website focused on helping critical care nurses become CRNAs and also offers professional coaching services. And Jason Bull joined me for episode 24 of Anesthesia Guidebook. There, we talked about how to leverage social media as a healthcare provider in the 21st century, as well as how to avoid landmines on social media as an anesthesia trainee. Jason also provides professional coaching services and interview prep and has a ton of free videos on his YouTube channel, which will help you prepare for anesthesia school. Another CRNA out there who's crushing it is Stacy Rogers with the CRNA Method. She's got over 15,000 followers on Instagram and orients much of her work towards helping people get into anesthesia school. So if you are trying to get ready for anesthesia school and want more advice, more insights than this episode can offer, reach out to one of these folks. I would imagine that there's also people out there doing the same thing for medical students and physician anesthesia trainees, but I have not come across them. Hit me up with an email if you're a physician resident or med student listening to this with links to people doing amazing things, and I can try to give them a shout out in a later episode. All right, so given that there's too much to say about preparing for anesthesia school in one podcast, let's recap what Kara and Mason talked about, and I'll add in just a little bit more insights. So they talked about evaluating schools and residencies. Mason talked about reaching out to the program director, learning about what the faculty value in terms of their applicants. Kara mentioned visiting open houses and getting to interact with program faculty. Look for a fit with your personality and class size. Evaluate attrition rates and how many people actually make it through to the other side and pass boards out of their program. And I would add that learning about where they send their students for clinical can be super important. I was just talking with the folks at Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington. While they travel wide and far for clinical sites, the school arranges for housing at every clinical site at no cost to the SRNAs. The same was true at Western Carolina University when I was there. Most of our clinical sites were within a commutable distance from Asheville, but if they weren't, the school arranged housing for us. That's not the case with other programs. For instance, the University of New England here in Portland, Maine, sends their SRNAs all over New England, from Washington, D.C. to New Hampshire in the extreme northern reaches of Maine. And they expect their SRNAs to find and pay for housing all on their own. This is a massive stressor for the anesthesia trainees, as they're often left paying rent in Portland and then full market rates for housing through Airbnb or VRBO wherever their clinical sites are. And it includes like several months of their program, like, I don't know, eight, 10, 12 months of their program, they're paying double rents, which is something that you may not know before you go into a program. So learn about the programs you're applying to as much as possible. Talk to current residents and get the inside scoop before you decide that that's where you want to go to school. So Mason and Kara also talked about advice for people with families and kids. Mason said you should cut them loose. <laughs> and uh, that might not be possible. Uh, but you should definitely talk to residents and anesthesia students who have children. Uh, talk to your spouse. Talk to your kids. Talk to your family about how you plan to approach this. And then I've also got a couple podcasts on doing anesthesia training with your family on Anesthesia Guidebook. 
So one of them is episode 15, which is Significant Others and Anesthesia School, recorded with Jenny and Robert Montague. They're an amazing couple. They've got two kids. Robert just wrapped up anesthesia school last year, and you would absolutely love hearing from them if you want some inside scoop on being a significant other. Uh, Jenny brings her perspective in depth on that podcast uh, as a mom and as a spouse, as a master's prepared dietitian, and you know, comparing her path with what Robert was experiencing in his own master's program. So definitely check out episode 15. And then the other one is episode 50, parenting during anesthesia training with Lynn and Nate Wooden. Now, Lynn was actually in Robert's class, uh, and her husband, Nate, is actually a child therapist. So I was stoked to have them on the show, and they talk about their journey in parenting, and Nate brings insight as a child therapist into supporting children uh, while you're in anesthesia school. So definitely go check that one out. And then another show I'll point you to is episode 54 of Anesthesia Guidebook, which is Hardship in Anesthesia School, which will frame a bit of you know how hard anesthesia school actually can be and how others have dealt with the challenges that may come along your way. So if you are pre-school, if you are before you, I'm not saying like you're in preschool, but if you are actually before you get into anesthesia school, if you are still preparing on your anesthesia residency or anesthesia school, graduate school, definitely go check these shows out. They will help frame the whole journey that is coming your way. And then Kara and Mason also talked about if you should study stuff ahead of time. So they talked about knowing the basics, the physiology and pharmacology. There's no replacing that baseline knowledge in terms of its ability to help you hit the ground running during your anesthesia residency. So definitely study up on physiology and pharmacology. But to the question as to whether or not to actually study anesthesia content, I think there's a straight split on this question amongst anesthesia providers. Some feel very strongly that you should study as much as you can ahead of school, and others think that you shouldn't waste your time. You should enjoy your time as much as possible with your family and friends because anesthesia school will teach you everything you need to know anyway. I think you have to figure out what's right for you. Any contextual background knowledge you have will certainly help for sure, but there's also something to be said about preparing yourself and your family ahead of time for the incredible difficulty of your time being completely consumed during anesthesia training. So you would definitely do well to have some serious quality time with your friends and family ahead of school. Now, I know this is obviously kind of different for physician anesthesia residents who have been you know, in med school for the last four years, and then you're doing your internship year, and then your anesthesia residency. So you've been pretty much consumed your whole life. So um, just know that it's going to get better on the other side of anesthesia training. But for those folks who are coming from the nurse background, and you've got, you know, you're out there actually working as a critical care nurse, and maybe you're doing 312s, you got four days off a week, you have a lot of free time. Like you've, you've got an incredible amount of free time, even though you're working a full-time job. And all that's about to go away once you hit anesthesia school. So, you know, if you want to read an anesthesia textbook, if you want to, you know, start listening to anesthesia podcast, obviously, if you found this one, you're on that path. Um, that can be helpful, but definitely understand that it's a long three years when you hit your anesthesia training and your time is going to be pretty much consumed. So, you know, I, I wouldn't really recommend taking a vacation and just hitting the books, you know, take a vacation and spend it with your family. Enjoy that time, prepare well with your family before you hit anesthesia school. And then we've also talked about tips for interviews, you know, knowing your physiology, 
Uh, interviewing is an acquired skill for sure. You can practice interview skills. There's lots of prep materials and coaching available on the internet for interviews. And we could probably do a whole podcast just on interview prep. Uh, but hopefully this episode has at least given you some basic tips for preparing for the interview. And who knows, maybe we'll come back and talk more about that in the future. But I'm going to move on for now. One other key piece of advice is to actually know what you're getting yourself into. So you really want to have a good understanding of what it means to be a CRNA or physician anesthesiologist. And one way to gain that perspective is to shadow other providers. So interestingly, one CRNA I know originally wanted to become a physician anesthesiologist. She was finishing her chem bio undergrad and had taken her MCAT before applying to med school. She went to shadow a physician anesthesiologist and he put her in the OR that day with the CRNAs who were doing the cases. She had no idea that there were CRNAs. Uh, she didn't know that they existed. And she also didn't know, obviously, that in care team models, that it's the CRNAs who are actually in the room doing the cases and providing the anesthesia. And that's what she wanted to do. So she totally switched her gears from like chem bio undergrad, med school, physician anesthesiologist, and she finished her undergrad in chem bio and then applied to nursing school, went to nursing school, shot through the ICUs, and then went on to become a CRNA. And she's totally stoked about that decision. Uh, might not be the case for other folks, you know, I'd, Recently talked to a physician resident in anesthesia who looked at becoming a CRNA and she kind of did the math on, you know, how much time and what the income is and what your actual work will be like on the other side. And she decided to go the physician route. So uh, definitely different strokes for different folks, but, you know, shadowing will definitely help open your eyes to what is the job that you're actually going to be doing. I think to be frank, a lot of med students get super stoked about anesthesia because they shadow anesthesia residents who are in the ORs doing stuff. You know, they often don't actually shadow the physician anesthesiologist who, yes, they do anesthesia. They sometimes do their own cases. They do blocks and, you know, procedures and that kind of stuff. But a lot of times in care team models, they're, you know, they're supporting the CRNAs or the physician residents who are actually doing the cases. And I've talked to numerous physician anesthesiologists who uh, weren't fully prepared for that shift in their career. You know, you get stoked about doing anesthesia during your residency and then you get out and you don't, you don't do the cases as much as you used to. You're involved in doing pre-op assessments, supporting the folks in the OR, doing PACI rounds and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think it's just important to understand, you know, what are you actually getting into and, um, are you going to be stoked about the work that you're going to be doing on the other side of training? So, all right. So enough about that. I do want to say just one thing on the kind of the context of shadowing. I would really recommend if you are going to shadow people that you don't just shadow for a day to check the box. Many schools will require you to shadow before you apply. They want to see that you've had shadowing experience. Again, they want you to know what you're getting into. Some schools even require a certain number of hours that you shadow but don't show up to your shadowing experience just to check that box so that you can apply to school. I've had people who have shadowed who have that attitude and it comes through super clear. You're checking your watch, you're not engaged, you're just looking to, you know, for a CRNA to sign off on your paper that you've shadowed and it just doesn't speak well of you and it doesn't really in, endear the CRNAs to put a lot of effort into you. So actually engage in the process. 
Be curious. Ask questions. Stay as long as the CRNA or the physician anesthesiologist invites you to. Ask to come back and shadow someone else for different cases. Be curious about getting different perspectives. And be careful about who you ask to write you a letter of recommendation. You need to set that person up so they actually write you a solid letter. If you don't know them and only shadow them for a day and you don't sell your story to them, you don't tell them who you are and what path you're on and they, they don't really know anything about you, you know, what, what are they supposed to write about in a letter of recommendation? I mean, I, I've written letters like that and I say, I can attest that so-and-so came and shadowed for this many hours on this day. I, I can't, I'm not going to vouch for you to be a phenomenal anesthesia student if I don't know your work ethic, if I don't know who you are, if I don't know the, con- the context that you're coming from, if we've not had more than one conversation, which is, you know, predominantly me telling you about anesthesia. Like I need to know who you are if I'm going to really write you a letter of recommendation. So I would encourage you to ask to shadow somebody. And then if it goes well, ask to come back again to shadow, but in the interim, see if it's okay if you send them your resume, uh, send them your personal statement. And then after your second day of shadowing, you know, then ask, hey, would you mind writing me a letter of recommendation? And if you can only get one day of shadowing in with that person, that's fine. But do the same thing ahead of that day. Send them your resume. Send them your letter of recommendation. Request that, you know, you know, if the shadowing experience goes well, would they mind writing you a letter of recommendation? But you need to actually give this person some sort of contextual framework as to who you are if you really want a good letter. And then recognize that this is not a small ask for these people. These folks are busy and asking them to review your resume, read your personal statement, shadow for a day or two, and then write a letter of recommendation is a lot of time commitment on their part. So definitely send them a handwritten thank you note and do not be lame in your approach to the whole shadowing experience. Be professional, be prepared, express gratitude while you're there. Tell them thank you for their time. And all of that will go a long way into assuring that they actually write you a solid letter and actually become a professional connection for you and not just someone who helped you check the box on your shadowing experience. All right, enough on that. There is so much more that we could say, but I think I'm going to cut it here. Preparing for agency school is a huge endeavor. It's massive. It is a long road to get there. The other episodes in the series will certainly be relevant for those who are interested in becoming anesthesia providers. The more you know about what you're going to get into, the better. So coming up, we're going to talk about how to thrive once you're in the program, how to do didactics, how to do time management, how to do clinical, crush exams, and so much more. So stay tuned, and I'll see you next time. Hey, y'all, John here. If you're digging the show, will you take a couple of minutes and drop a review of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcasts? Your comments and ratings help other people trust the show. Also, send a link to the podcast to your classmates and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way for Guidebook to grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.